The Audacity podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we're recording on today, the Dharawal people, and pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present, and emerging. We also acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. The Audacity podcast will start in three, two, one, and launch. Hey Kat, when are you starting your podcast? When's the podcast coming out? Alright, so here's the thing. I've been intending on starting a podcast for like a solid year now, much like the rest of fucking Generation Z, but if there's one piece of advice I'd give to anyone out there wanting to start a podcast, it's don't fucking tell anyone that you're wanting to start a podcast. Because then the pressure begins. Like, keep it serious, but keep it light. It's one thing to do research and stuff, but then just like listing it out gets monotone. So like, find a way to present it well. Make sure that it's like upbeat, but also like hitting those questions that make people think and make them want to keep listening because they're like, I want to hear about that more. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to give too much away. Mm-hmm. Sound effects, you got to get that right. Can't have bad sound effects. All right, all right. Of course I want to do all that stuff, but I've got to start with episode one. Which is an issue in itself, because the first episode of any podcast should probably give an insight into what the rest of the episodes are kind of going to be like, right? Well, that's what I've gathered thus far from asking a bajillion people what to include. But there was also one piece of advice that my friend Darcy gave me that stuck. Storytelling is like the best way to do it, because like it's the way to transfer information. And it's the most successful one we've found to date. Like It's everywhere in every culture. So tell a story. We can interpret what we want from it, you can guide us, but you can always change it. Like, it can be open-ended. Tell a story. I can do that. I think. But here's the thing. I kind of have commitment issues when it comes to content creation. And the idea of committing to one topic or theme, quite honestly, scares the fuck out of me. I mean, my brain is a weird and wonderful place that sometimes feels like it operates at a million miles per hour. And I'd say that there's probably little to no consistency in my life. And my stories often have many tangents, so instead of trying to press pause to find one topic to explore, or just sitting down and chatting for 50 minutes about something that could or could also not be entertaining, I wanted to do things a little bit differently. I figured this podcast would be more so a documented soundscape of my extremely scattered thoughts, the things that impact my generation, the adventures I go on, the incredible characters I meet along the way, and more than anything, A commentary on the audacious behaviour that taints modern civilization. Which brings me to my next point. What does the audacity really mean? If you don't know, well, that kind of sucks because it's kind of hard to sum it up in words. I guess it's that phrase that you use when someone's done something really daring or bold or sometimes shameless or reckless. But it's more than that. It can be audacious in a good way, it can be audacious in a bad way. The audacity relates to a lot of things, like this podcast. But that doesn't really explain much, so I had to ask my mates to help. What does the audacity mean to you? What does when someone says the audacity, how would you describe what that means? Yeah, like really pushing my buttons. I have a really freaking honest answer. Okay, go. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's just clear this up right now because others seem to have very different perspectives of what the audacity means. But for clarification, it doesn't mean this. Um, I recall, I feel like it was year 10. (laughs) And 
I shit you not, you're probably going to be like, oh, that answer's just shit, but this is... Every time I hear the audacity, I think of that little shitty computer program where you record yourself, your speech, and you send it in. What? You know, you I spent nights in my bedroom recording speeches what? on Audacity, what? but the, it was like oh, a, such a shitty oh. girl program that you had to stop start, so if you fucked up three minutes in, back you go, sister. Back you go. <laughs> well, we've all really got different perceptions. <laughs> I mean, if I think twice, I think, yes, how fucking dare you. <laughs> Thank fuck we cleared that up. That's not what we're referring to. Now you kind of get the gist of things, it's time to play. I'm Kat Sleeman, and this is the Audacity Podcast. Now there's a couple of rules to this podcast. Rule number one, the Audacity Podcast is inclusive of everyone, no matter your background, beliefs, or abilities, except anti-vaxxers, I'm not really into that. So any sexist, racist, ageist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist, or any other kind of discriminatory behaviour simply won't be tolerated and will be called out. Rule number two, question everything. Embrace your inner devil's advocate and normalize changing your opinion on something after learning new information. Questioning your previous assumptions may be uncomfortable at first, but the process reaps huge benefits and unlocks a whole new level of fulfillment. Rule number three, recognize your biases, acknowledge your privileges. A number of factors build together to shape a person's perspective culture, confirmation bias, experiences, emotions, power, privilege. So reflect on what you did and didn't have to fight for to get in life and consider why that might be. And finally, rule number four, don't hate, just hope for better. Don't get me wrong, this podcast will definitely involve some justified ranting, but it's important to distinguish between sharing opinions and unmercifully slamming people. Unmerciful slamming will only be served when deserved. So grab a beverage of choice, sit back and enjoy. You're listening to The Audacity Podcast. Now, as rule number three says, I think it's super important to be aware of your biases in every meaningful conversation and acknowledge how your experiences shape ultimately every perspective that you have. Now, I'm still learning new things every day, as we all are, and we also have to learn by making mistakes and seeing what works and what doesn't. I guess which is another reason why I've been putting off this whole podcast, because I'm scared I'm going to be sick of it or outgrow my opinions in it. But I think that's also just a part of life. Every older author I read always says, every 10 years I look back on younger me and laugh at how I thought I knew everything. So I am by no means claiming to know everything, or even partially anything really. But this is more so a space for considering everything, exploring different ideas, and thinking about the other hand. But in saying that, there are some topics that I am very passionate about and will probably be taking a side on, obviously once we explore the arguments involved. So with that being said, I should probably tell you a little bit about myself so you understand a bit more about me and the way I think and the opinions and beliefs I have and why I have them. So for those who are listening who don't know me personally, hello, I'm Kat, I'm 21 and I was born and raised in Tamworth, New South Wales, but I've lived in Wollongong, New South Wales for the last three and a half years studying. So I'm first generation Lebanese Australian. My parents moved from Lebanon to Tamworth uh, over 30 years ago now. So I will be discussing a lot of topics relevant to my ethnic background, including things like Orientalism and stereotypes of the Middle East, um, things like internalized racism and the way that a lot of children of migrants tend to stray from their ethnic heritage due to, I guess, the societal favoring of whiteness in a nutshell. 
uh, and also mental health, but with the added factor of cultural expectation thrown in the mix. So if there are any other first-gen Australian listeners, um, you guys might find some of those episodes relatable. So I study a Bachelor of Communications and Media Dean Scholar. The Dean Scholar bit basically just means I have to get higher marks for absolutely no added benefit, which is pretty fucking dumb. Why I'm still entertaining it, you wonder? Well, I don't know. It sounds fancier. So I study a double major, half of which is marketing and advertising, and the other is global screen media, which is where I discovered my deep love for social justice documentary filmmaking. So I will be incorporating a fair bit of media theory in this because I think it definitely helps explain how our minds operate and have historically operated as audience of the media in whatever form of media that may be, whether it be TV, film, social media, radio, advertising, news, propaganda, whatever. Um, Things I'm passionate about and that we'll probably be discussing on the podcast include all things popular culture, uh, politics, philosophy, intersectional feminism, artificial intelligence, technology, as well as conspiracy theories. Don't judge me. Hey, so I'm adding this in as I'm editing. Just for clarification, I by no means associate with any COVID-related conspiracy theories. That includes anything 5G-related or Bill Gates-related. Any such mention of said COVID conspiracies are for ironic purposes. Oh, there's my phone ringing. That's my Uber Eats. I currently work as a social media producer for an edtech company called Year 13, who basically helps students with their transition out of high school, as it can be a pretty daunting time. I definitely encourage following Year 13 on Instagram for some super informative and also super entertaining content. Um, That was a huge self-plug, but just do it. (laughs) So I basically started at year 13 as a school presenter and myself and my co-workers Harry and Sab basically used to travel New South Wales and the ACT talking to secondary students about finding their passion and going down a career path that they found personally fulfilling. Speaking of Harry and Sab, remember that voice at the start? The Audacity podcast will start in three, two, one. (laughs) Yeah, that's Harry. When I asked Harry to send me a recording of him saying the Audacity podcast will start in 321 because I wanted a deep male voice and he does voice acting, he really outdid himself. And when I say he really outdid himself, I mean he recorded himself repeating the line for like four minutes in like 35 different voices. The Audacity podcast will start in three, two, one, launch. Here we have the Audacity podcast. It will start in three, two, one, launch. And here we've got the um, uh, the Audacity podcast, and it'll start in three, two, one, launch. Winter is coming, and so is the Audacity podcast. I'd be an absolute fool if I didn't shout him out for that. So thank you very much, Harry. Harry and his partner Ness are absolute legends and they actually own a sustainable clothing company called Wolf Bear Collective where a tree is planted with every garment purchased. So definitely go check them out. They're really, really cool. Shout out also to my other co-worker and dear friend Sav as well for also giving me some samples to include throughout the potty. I love you and I appreciate you. Harry and Sav also both have super inspiring stories, which they'll tell on here one day, I'm sure. 
So as we've established, this podcast involves a lot of storytelling, but you can't have a story without characters. Well, I mean, you can, but it'd be a pretty fucking boring story. So it's time that you meet a couple more characters in my story. It might be easier to learn as we go. So for the meantime, it's time to meet Soph, Poppy and Annabelle. They live together and are some of the strangest and most beautiful creatures I've ever encountered. So they're definitely worth being part of this story. Now let's start with one of my main homies, partners in crime, and also the brains behind the title, The Audacity, Sophie. Oh my god, The Audacity. I don't know at what point we claimed the phrase, but there was a point in lockdown in which the world was full of political and social behaviours that we quite frankly found audacious. Day after day, conversation after conversation, we found ourselves questioning the audacity of people's actions. Um, <laughs> that is a lot to unpack. So we figured, why not call it out? We actually planned on starting this podcast for a very long time. And we actually recorded it many times. But every time we press record, I guess we got a little bit uh, distracted per se. Might speak again. Can you hear me? Speak loud. Can you hear me? Yeah. I don't know if my voice goes loud. <laughs> it's a worry. Welcome, finally, to the podcast that we've made after talking about it for... A long time. Yeah. Oh, At least a millennia. A long time due. This gets, keeps getting more interesting. All right. Interesting. It does. We've, we've <laughs> tried to start this at least four times now. Matt. Sixth time. <laughs> we've recorded this so many times. But this is the last time we're going to be filming the first episode. False. I think I've tried to record this at least 20 times since that recording. Anyway. Sophie's one of the funniest people I know. She teaches me a lot about setting boundaries. Like, should I like his message so that he doesn't get embarrassed for sending it? No, it just seen him. <laughs> Is that savage though? Stop being nice to men. <laughs> what if he gets embarrassed? He should be embarrassed. <laughs> Acknowledging your bias and the systems that oppress minority groups, including the royal family. Oh, their whole monarchy is built off the oppression of black people. But anyway, you guys can ignore that all you want. <laughs> and probably more than anything, not abiding by the patriarchy and its shitty rules. PSA, we are not ladylike. So, Soph lives with Annabelle and Poppy, and they definitely get up to some mischief. What sort of audacious things have happened to you guys in the past week, or more than a week? Um... First thing that popped into my head was the audacity of our old real estate agent not giving us our bond back for five weeks. Oh my goodness. We should have actually taken him Is to that the relevant? tribunal. Okay, but to be fair, <laughs> you cupcaked your neighbor's house, <laughs> you put peanut butter under their car door handles. Hey, we suspect he was cheating on his wife. He <laughs> was. He was Did you ever tell the wife? wife? No. <laughs> we don't want to get involved in that. We just want him to slyly know that we knew. That was Poppy talking. I tried to get Annabelle to do an intro, but she gets stage fright every time I try to record her. The pressure's on you now. Here's the thing with you, though. You're so good when you're not, like, under pressure. I can't podcast. <laughs> Why? We, we, Poppy and I tried one time and we were so fucked. <laughs> we still haven't listened to it because we're, we're too like, scared. These are great. We had like all these like dot points of topics and shit. And then in the morning, like we listened and it was so. We listened to like a minute and we were nearly vomiting. Turn it up, turn it up. 
what were the topics? Like, like life, houses, like thinking we knew shit uni, about everything. Like, <laughs> yeah, we we like this is how you get through this situation at uni. <laughs> oh my god. The two dumbest chicks ever. After being homeless for several months during a global pandemic, the girls finally found a place in Thoreau, which is very good for them. Nice work, girls. So we'll just call them the Thoreau girls for future reference. But the reason I'm bringing up the Thoreau girls is because a while ago I asked them what to include in a podcast to make it good. See, I'm scared. See, everyone can technically start a podcast, but how do you make a podcast good? Got to be listening to heaps of weekly engaging and funny. We always on the ball. Up to the trends. Up to the trends. No, ahead of the trends. Ahead of the Ooh, trends. Yes. You say. Yes, I say. <laughs> ahead of the trends, I say. Mm, that's a lot of pressure. But I guess the reason I can't make up my mind about what to talk about, especially in this first episode, is because of the danger of the single story. Some of you might be familiar with this concept. Most of you have probably been victim to it in some way or another. But I guess in a very minimized version, I don't want to talk about just one thing in this episode because then that becomes my single story. The thing that people associate this podcast with and me with. The thing that they expect every episode to follow to be like. If I do this episode on something feminism related, then it suddenly becomes the feminism podcast. If I do it on something AI related, then people suddenly think that it's an AI podcast. But in reality, I'm human. I'm going to try things and I'm going to hate them. I'm going to have opinions on things and then learn new things and change those opinions. I'm going to go through different stages of being absolutely fucking obsessed with something and then not thinking about it for three months. Basically, I don't want whatever story I tell today to define the rest of this podcast. But then I thought, wait, why don't I talk about that? The danger of the single story. And so that's exactly what the fuck I'm going to do. Analyzing now. Stand clear. I first became aware of this notion while watching a TED talk by novelist Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, titled The Danger of a Single Story. If you're a fan of Beyonce, you would have probably recognised one of Chimamanda's speeches on gender equality sampled in the song Flawless. Now, in this TED talk on the danger of the single story, Chimamanda talks about how she found her authentic cultural voice. And she also warns that when we hear only a single story about another person or country, we risk a critical misunderstanding. We risk accepting one experience, or one story, as the whole truth. She begins talking about how impressionable and vulnerable we are in the face of a story, particularly as children. She explains that as a young Nigerian girl reading American and Western books, they only really included white characters and scenarios only relevant to Western audiences, even down to the weather conditions, like them waiting for the snow to stop and the sun to come out, which obviously an audience in Nigeria would by no means relate to. She explains that because this was all she saw, she as a young girl would assume that books then could only have white characters and situations in which she couldn't relate to in them. She says that eventually she discovered other work by authors of colour, which opened her eyes to a whole new realm of literature, and that was how she found her passion. She finally was made aware that people like her could exist in books, and she explains that those black authors saved her from the danger of the single story. She then goes on to explain that when she went to university years later in the US, her roommate had bought into the single story of Africa. She says her American roommate was shocked by her. She asked where Chimamanda had learned where to speak English so well, and was confused when Chimamanda told her that Nigeria happened to have English as its official language. She assumed that Chimamanda didn't know how to use a stove, and she even asked if she could listen to what she called Chimamanda's tribal music, 
and was apparently very disappointed when Chimamanda pulled out her Mariah Carey mixtape. Chimamanda says, What struck me was this. She had felt sorry for me, even before she saw me. Her default position toward me, as an African, was a kind of patronising, well-meaning pity. My roommate had a single story of Africa. A single story of catastrophe. In this single story, there was no possibility of Africans being similar to her in any way. No possibility of feelings more complex than pity. No possibility of a connection as human equals. End quote. Now, Chimamanda makes a good point that you can't talk about a single story without talking about power. She says, how stories are told, who tells them, when they are told, and how many stories are told are all dependent on power. Power is the ability not just to tell the story of another person, but to make it the definitive story of that person. The Palestinian poet Maurid Bagudi writes that if you want to dispossess a people, the simplest way to do it is to tell their story and to start with secondly. Start the story with the arrows of the Native Americans and not with the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story. Start the story with the failure of the African state and not with the colonial creation of the African state, and you have an entirely different story. Chimamanda says, And so that is how to create a single story. Show a people as one thing, as only one thing, over and over again, and that is what they become. Chimamanda then goes on and makes a joke about how when she learned that writers were supposed to have unhappy childhoods, she tried to think of ways that she could say her parents did horrible things to her, but the reality was that she had a very happy childhood in a loving family. But she says that she also had grandfathers who died in refugee camps, a cousin that died because he couldn't get adequate health care, a close friend that died in a plane crash because their fire trucks didn't have water. She says she grew up under repressive military governments that devalued education, so sometimes her parents weren't paid their salaries, as her mother was an administrator and her father was a professor. And so as a child, rations became standard and a kind of normalised political fear invaded their lives. She says, all of these stories make me who I am. But to insist on only these negative stories is to flatten my experience and to overlook the many other stories that formed me. The single story creates stereotypes, and the problem with stereotypes is they're not untrue, but they're incomplete. They make one story become the only story. Of course, Africa is a continent full of catastrophes. There are immense ones, such as the horrific rapes in Congo, and depressing ones, such as the fact that 5,000 people apply for one job vacancy in Nigeria. But there are other stories that are not about catastrophe, and it is very important. It is just as important to talk about them. I've always felt that it is impossible to engage properly with a place or a person without engaging with all of the stories of that place or that person. The consequence of the single story is this. It robs people of dignity. It makes our recognition of our equal humanity difficult. It emphasises how we are different, rather than how we are similar. End quote. So, this is why I want to make sure if I storytell on this podcast, I want to do it right. I think this notion of the single story is so important, and I think another theme explored in Chimamanda's work, intersectionality, is also pivotal to almost every situation. Now, intersectionality is a whole different framework for another episode, but in essence, if you don't know... It was a term created by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw in the late 80s to describe how things like race, class, gender, and other characteristics an individual has 
basically intersect with one another and overlap, influencing the way that people from different backgrounds encounter and experience the world. For example, a woman of colour is likely to experience more explicit or even subconscious prejudice throughout their life compared to a white cis male, for example. Or another example, a man of colour with low socioeconomic status is likely to experience more hardship in his life than a white middle-class woman. Essentially, a lot of factors impact the way that we experience the world, and the framework of intersectionality basically helps us understand deep structural and systemic questions about inequality and discrimination. So it's a term worth holding on to. We'll be referring to it a lot of times throughout this podcast. Now, back to the concept of the single story. Another reason why I wanted to bring this up is because of everything going on with COVID and the anti-vax protests at the moment. I think that this is a pure example of how technology and social media algorithms have definitely influenced and perpetuated the single story narrative. I saw a comment a little while ago in response to a video put up by an influencer I follow, basically telling anti-vax protesters to stop being dickheads and to go inside. And this comment really got me thinking for a while and I wanted to delve into it a bit more and hopefully hear what you guys think as well. So this comment said, today's protests really speak to how social media creates an echo chamber where people are only being served content similar to what they've previously engaged with, continuously validating their mindsets rather than being challenged from wider perspectives. I honestly believe everyone who turned up at the protest today believes that they were the majority mindset, not the minority. It's a sad reality that needs to be addressed. Wish we could have healthy conversations led by experts seen by everyone. End quote. I found this super interesting. Now, I don't want to spend the rest of this podcast talking about COVID and I don't want to spend it talking about vaccines because, quite frankly, I'm over talking about COVID and I'm over talking about fucking vaccines. I will, however, say my perspective now for context and then I want to move on to what I actually want to talk about. But in essence, if you're an anti-vaxxer, please stop being selfish. You're not a free thinker. You're not woke. You're protesting wearing a piece of fabric on your face and you feel oppressed having to stay in your air-conditioned, Wi-Fi-connected homes. Boo-hoo. First world fucking problems. We're all sick of lockdown. We're all sick of staying inside. But you don't see us undermining the last 18 months of hell for healthcare workers or throwing away all of the work that we've done so far so that we can go out. I saw someone that had the fucking audacity to say that we were ignorant and flawed to compare our situation to Afghanistan. I've seen a lot of people that I genuinely respected posting things like, we shouldn't minimize what's happening in our country by comparing it to what's happening in less fortunate areas of the world. And then it won't diminish our problems and that anti-vaxxers are just employing their freedom to make medical choices and all this bullshit. Motherfucker, like people in Afghanistan aren't on another planet over there. They're fucking people. They're like us. The difference is the privilege that we have that they don't have. This is literally the purest example of white privilege. People in Afghanistan aren't from some alien planet to us. We are capable of empathizing. Acknowledging your privilege isn't minimizing. It's just having perspective. And perspective is good. It's a part of personal growth. It's not about invalidating your mental health or your feelings. It's about understanding what's going on in the world and helping process your traumas by comparing what other people's traumas are like. And then understanding that maybe you can get through it because other people might have it pretty fucking bad. Like, oh, I get it. All struggles are real, but I'm just going to say it. Some are definitely more important than others. Like, yeah, what's happening overseas might not directly impact you, but 
I don't know. I feel like it definitely gives insight into some people's moral compass if they don't fucking care. Like, I don't know about you, but I think being murdered for your beliefs is definitely a lot more of a human rights violation than being locked down as a public health order. Like, try saying that shit to an Afghan girl who quite literally has zero freedom. That would be the biggest fucking slap in the face. Like, no one's denying that lockdown's tough. We all fucking hate it. No one's having a great time. I'm sure a lot of us have struggled with our mental health along the way. But to claim that you have no freedom in one of the luckiest countries in the fucking world is just bizarre to me. Like, you're not oppressed. Half of the people that I've seen at these protests have been in lockdown for, like, three minutes and are ruining it for the rest of us that are staying inside until the mass majority are vaccinated, like health professionals are advising. If you don't trust the vaccine... That, might I add, over 95% of doctors got as soon as it became available to them. Then I'm going to assume that you clearly don't trust the healthcare system, right? And if you don't trust the healthcare system, then why the fuck would you want any other drugs administered to you? Like, no one's forcing you to get the vaccine. Don't do it if you don't want to. But then are you also expecting to use that same healthcare system that you don't trust to treat you when you get COVID-19? Like, I don't get it. There's no consistency at all. Oh, God, freedom. Where was this energy when refugees were being sent to offshore detention centres? Honestly, where was this freedom energy? Anyway, if you can't empathise with them, if you can't empathise with immunocompromised people, if you can't bloody empathise with people dying in Afghanistan, then for the love of God, at least please try and empathise with our fucking healthcare workers who you've now taken a giant shit on because you're tired of staying inside. Are you bored? Like... I can recommend you some Netflix watches if you want, but honestly, pull your head out, acknowledge your privilege, and go the fuck inside. <sighs> Lol, at me saying I wasn't going to talk about COVID and vaccines. It had to be said. Anyway, that's all I'll say on that. Now, what I do want to talk about... <laughs> I love how I just go back into, like, normal, like... Now, what I want to talk about next... Anyway, what I do want to talk about is this notion that social media has created this environment that basically fosters toxic movements and misinformation purely due to the technological algorithms. I should note for context that I'm not anti-tech. I'm not anti-social media. I'm not one of those people that wants us to just ditch the gadgets and go live in communes with horse and carriage. I personally actually value the role that technology plays in my life. I mean, my career literally didn't exist 20 years ago and only does exist due to technology. So naturally, I am pro-technology. Obviously, having studied the pros and cons for the past three and a half years, I can definitely understand the potential detrimental sides of technology, which we probably will explore in a later episode. But I can also recognize the absolute plethora of opportunities that it's provided the human race. Now, in saying that, this is why regulation is super important. Because when something is flawed or isn't perfectly coded or programmed or has inherent biases and is unregulated, then obviously that presents a fuck ton of potential problems. Now, in this case, social media algorithms create public spheres that foster misinformation, which is what I want to get into and talk a little bit more about today. Analyzing now. Now let's talk about this notion of the public sphere for a little bit. So I'm going to throw it back to first year media studies toolkit essentials. This is the first shit that they teach us in communications and media because in essence, technology and social media platforms are public spheres. So this concept of a public sphere is basically understood as a social space where different opinions are expressed 
problems of general concern are discussed and collective solutions are developed through communication. So this term was coined by German social theorist Jürgen Habermas in 1962. And Habermas was a part of the Frankfurt School of Thought. So he basically talks about the development of a public sphere of thought that developed out of the salons and the coffee shops of 18th century Europe. So back in the day, obviously, the coffee shops were the go-to place to get the hot goss and debate about ideas and different things and I guess literally even just get news. It was separate from the state, it was separate from the official economy, and it was open. But in saying that, the public sphere that Habermas described was quite bourgeois because it excluded the poor and the uneducated. Basically, it only really made sense to contribute to the public sphere at that time if you had the money to absorb or contribute to the sphere in a meaningful way. Obviously, if you weren't really educated on topics, then there would be no reason for you to pipe in. Um, So women and minority groups were also often excluded from the public sphere. Now, obviously, a lot's happened since then. We've had a variety of social and political movements. We've had wars. We've had pandemics. We've had economic crashes and technological booms. But to put it into our context, technology provides us with multiple public spheres. Now, what I mean is each social media app is a public sphere in itself, a theatre or an arena for debating and deliberating. But within those, there are even more public spheres, So, for example, Facebook as an app in itself is a public sphere, but on Facebook you have groups, you have pages, you have communities, you have group chats. On Twitter you have tweet threads, direct messages, hashtags. Each of these things are like virtual coffee shops. I mean, when you think about the psychology behind us liking things like Club Penguin so much back in the day, a lot of the appeal for a lot of people was the connection aspect and the social aspect. It's the ability to go and meet up with different people and chat in a virtual communal environment. But the main point of difference with social media is we would more so refer to it as a mediated public sphere because there's a lot of variables involved controlling the channels of communication. So there's different things that might inhibit you from seeing someone's post. Obviously, we don't see every post put on social media by our friends all the time unless we obviously search for it or unless they're high up in our algorithm. Now, algorithms are kind of complicated, but they're also kind of not. Most social networks prioritize which content a user sees in their feed first by the likelihood that they'll actually want to see it. So whether or not they'll actually engage with it. Before the switch to algorithms, most social media feeds displayed posts in reverse chronological order. So it was newest posts first. So Facebook and Twitter both have options to actually change your feed settings so that you can see the most recent posts rather than the most relevant. But by default, I think most social media algorithms essentially take the reins of determining which content to deliver to you based on your behavior. So for example, Facebook and Twitter might put posts from your closest friends and family first in your feed because those are the accounts that you interact with most often. It's the same system used to recommend you videos to watch on YouTube. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's there to help you. But the problem with an algorithm giving you what you want to see is that's all you see. Your perspective is never really challenged. You never hear the alternate view or opinion. If you're only interacting with like-minded people and engaging with content you agree with, then that's what the algorithm's going to give you. I'm sure you're familiar if you've got TikTok when you like a couple of videos on a certain topic and then suddenly your whole feed is full of that thing, like cooking videos or spirituality videos. My housemate Emily definitely relates. I liked a bunch of lesbian TikToks and now TikTok thinks I'm fucking lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) To be quite honest with you, I'm bisexual, not lesbian. (laughs) I love that for you. (laughs) So the whole point of this is 
Be aware that everyone is seeing a different feed on their phones right now. The internet is so saturated with information and content that sometimes we just need to take a minute and realize that there's a world beyond it. Another thing I think we can take from today's discussion is that everyone's perspectives are shaped by very different factors and the role intersectionality plays in life. Obviously, perspectives are shaped by things like cultural, social, racial, economic or political background, jobs or fields of studies, life experience, etc. But also, everyone's receiving different information all the time, especially through social media, which influences their way of thinking. So I guess just be mindful and empathize for the ignorance of people out there who think that they're in the right for protesting right now. No, but seriously, grow up and go inside. (laughs) Another thing I hope that resonates is the danger of the single story. Remember to try and learn as many layers to a person, country, topic or opinion as you possibly can before you make your judgement. Don't let one story become the only story. Anyway, I've been on a lot of fucking tangents during this podcast thus far. But honestly, that's what a conversation with me is like. So, fuck it. You love it or you hate it. Let me know. But we're not done just yet. I've decided I want to include a fun fact at the end of every podcast episode. Yay! And today's fun fact is brought to you by my dear friend Poppy. And it's a little something called foreign accent syndrome, which you may or may not have heard of. So she told me this a little while ago when we went out for coffee, and I made the mistake of letting her take the lead on explaining. Oh, that's me! Wait, can you tell the voice memos about foreign... Foreign accent syndrome is where you go into an operation Japanese and you come out of the operation Irish or with an Irish accent. Not Irish looking, but you sound Irish and you've never spoken Irish before. And it happens. So at this point, I got back, I listened to the recording, and then I got her to try again. Wait, can we just reiterate? Because that's completely wrong. <laughs> what is it actually? You well, go into an operation without... It's not necessarily Irish always. It's just any foreign or accent. Yeah, yeah, foreign accent syndrome. <laughs> and you don't have to be Japanese to come out Irish. So it's technically... You go into an operation English and you may come out with a Scottish accent. Right. Or you can be... Or, oh, yeah, some people can speak Korean and shit. And they'd have never learnt it before. Whoa. Yeah, you can fully know another language, right? Yeah. That's what's crazy. Okay. Wow. So she really fucked up the explanation pretty bad, but she almost got there. Anyway, although it's extremely rare, it actually is a real condition. Only about 100 people have been diagnosed with foreign accent syndrome since its first case in 1907. But basically, foreign accent syndrome is when you suddenly start to speak with a different accent. And it's most common after a head injury, a stroke, or some other type of damage to the brain. So, some examples of foreign accent syndrome include an Australian woman who developed a French-sounding accent after a car accident. And this one's pretty fucked. In 2018, an American woman in Arizona actually woke up one day with a mixture of Australian, British, and Irish accents after falling asleep the night before with a headache. Pretty fucking weird. But yeah, it's a thing. The Audacity Podcast. Well, we're nearing the end, but before I fuck off, uh, you guys can follow The Audacity on Instagram at The Audacity Org, where I'll hopefully be your hub for lockdown content. I'll be posting pics, polls, question boxes, um, teasers, snippets, videos, Instagram lives, 
merch comps, as well as a whole bunch of other probably really, really, really niche and weird content. Anyway, uh, enough self-plugging. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, If you've gotten this far, that's so fucking great. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed and I hope you've taken at least one new thing from it. But until next time, I'm Kat Sleeman and this has been the Audacity Podcast. Remember to keep your minds open and stay brilliant. Shutting down.